welcome to Curate this morning. If we haven't met, my name is Katie, and together with my husband, Joel, um, we get to pastor this place alongside the most incredible team you wouldn't believe. It's amazing to be serving God amongst such incredible and faithful people. Um, But hey, why don't we begin just by praying and just by committing this time to God. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for the gift that your word is to us. Lord, we thank you that your word, it just, it it sets us on a course of life. Your word brings life, God, and, and I pray, Lord, that you would bring about everything that you want to accomplish this morning, that, that no distraction and no force would stop us from experiencing the fullness of your truth and your word this morning that has the power to change everything. And so, God, as your sons and as your daughters, we, we give you our full attention We lift your name on high and we revere you and we look to you as holy. We look to you, Jesus, as our teacher and we follow you. And so speak to us. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Hey, so this year, our theme for this year is I Hear the Sound of Freedom. And yeah, really fun. And if this is your first time to curate, or maybe you've missed the last few weeks, we've been beginning to have this conversation about freedom and about what that means for us. And so uh, two weeks ago, so last Sunday was Easter Sunday, and then the Sunday before that, um, Joel spoke on how freedom is a journey, how freedom is a journey. And, you know, along that journey, there are moments There are moments of freedom where God intervenes, where the supernatural intervenes with the natural, and He does something that we could have never done on our own. And so our journey is this journey of walking with Jesus, but on the way, there are these moments. And so this morning, I'm going to talk about these moments of freedom, moments of freedom, which is pretty fun. So if you did miss Joel's message, I would go back on podcast and have a look. I think it would be called uh, Vision Sunday Week 2. Week 2. I have got two big sisters. And growing up, I remember when my eldest sister, Renee, was invited to the school ball when she was in the sixth form. And all of a sudden, just the atmosphere in our house changed. There was like a buzz. There was an excitement. I remember going to Arthur Toy. Some of you might remember that fabric shop on Devonport Road. It was a great shop. I loved it. And I remember us going there and we flicking through the patterns and Renee chose her ball dress pattern, chose her fabric. You know, we'd look through magazines, chose the hairstyle. It was all so exciting. And then I was trying to explain this to some younger folk the other day. There's this place called John's Photo Pharmacy. And what you used to do when you had a ball is that they would take photos and then they would put the physical photos against a window and next to the physical photos was a number. And if you wanted one of those photos with you in it, then you would go in and order a physical photo, which they would give to you. And you could only show to people who were physically with you. (laughs) I was trying to explain that. It's just like this... And so anyway, I remember doing this with Renee and then with Sarah, and I was so excited at the thought of my turn and what dress I would wear and how I would look and all the things like that. 
But what I didn't have a framework for is that when my time came, I was 35 weeks pregnant. And that year was all about the midriff. And for me, it wasn't really my strong point. <laughs> it wasn't my strong suit at uh, you know, that, that point of time. And so I didn't have a midriff, thank the Lord. But, you know, I think it's still amazing that I even went to my school ball 35 weeks pregnant doing some type of waddle dance. I don't know. But just in, the, in, in my way of trying to cope, of trying to make light of something that wasn't actually very light at all, I, I remember taking photos with my friends and they were all having their hands on my belly and it seemed like a great idea at the time without thinking that they go to John's Photo Pharmacy on the wall for everybody to go and see and look at. And, and so I remember turning up with my mum and I think my sisters, maybe one of them, and there were people, you know, like pointing out and sniggering and talking about the pregnant girl. And, and so my mum, just in this beautiful way of trying to protect me, and I totally would do the same thing. I remember her going in and just asking to take those photos down. And for me in that moment, it was like, oh, this is really not what I imagined it would be like. And in that, at that time, it was like a shame attached itself to my soul. And throughout the, you know, the next little bit of my life, the, when, when I would see people look at me and, and they would look at my condition and see how young I was, I just, I would see the look on their face. And so experience after experience, moment after moment, it was like that shame that had attached itself just continued to tighten its grip. And so here I was and I could probably... The, the, the closest thing I could liken it to is like walking around with like a heavy blanket, like a heavy coat. Uh, shame, if you don't know, shame is like that feeling of embarrassment. It's that feeling of wanting to run. It's that feeling of wanting to hide. It's that feeling of cringing, of feeling not worthy. And so that's what I carried. And for most people that carry a shame, it, it silences you. It stops you from taking any opportunity of putting yourself out there at all. It makes you want to run. It makes you want to hide. And because my family and my friends were amazing and they never made me feel that um, unaccepted or anything like that, and in those two bubbles, in the bubble of my family and the bubble of my friends, I was able to be myself. And so I don't think they even realized just how oppressed I was because outside of those two safety bubbles, I was oppressed, I was silenced, I could barely speak, I could barely look at people in the eye. I used to just be terrified at church when they would tell people to gather in two or three or four and just to pray out loud, and I couldn't. And I wanted to, but I couldn't. And I remember my sister Sarah, um, before her wedding, she said, Katie, I really want you to say a speech. And my big sister Renee said, Katie, the woman in our family, we aren't silent. Like, you need to speak up. <laughs> and I wanted to. <laughs> but it was like a feeling of being paralyzed. And so on her wedding, I got up to say my speech, and it went like this. Hello. I can't. And I passed the microphone over to Sarah, who said, thank you very much. <laughs> I tried. 
But it was like no matter how much I tried, it was like no matter how much I saw people with this ease of being able to speak and with this ease of being able to pray, it didn't matter how much I tried, I, I was paralyzed. I was, I was cloaked in this heavy blanket. And then, you know, I got married and I hid behind my husband and we had children and I hid behind my children. And then one morning at church, or an evening actually, this woman came up to me in worship and she said, I saw a picture of you. And you were carrying around like a parachute. You were dragging it around. And she felt to say that the ride was over, but you're still carrying this chute. And what happened is, then as I worshipped and as I prayed to God, it was like he untangled and cut all of the strings. See, I was, I was hidden under the stronghold of shame, and it was like he untangled it from my soul, and he gave me freedom. And, you know, even though I had met Jesus years before, like so many others, I met Jesus, that shame no longer had a, had a place, it no longer had a right to be there, that stronghold no longer had a right to be there, but I didn't know what it was like to feel any different. I didn't know that I had to partner with God to break agreement with it, to come out from under it. And so here I am, all of a sudden, set free of the stronghold. But you have to remember, my whole life is built around the fact that I've been dragging this thing for a long time. And so my habits, my thought patterns, my beliefs were all around this. And so, I, yes, I had this moment of freedom where God reached out and He did something. But then I had to walk out that freedom. I had to walk the way of Jesus. I had to change some beliefs. I had to add in some disciplines. I needed to bring people along in this journey so I could walk out this freedom. And, you know, I stand before you as a testament of God's freedom. I don't just know about freedom. I've tasted it. I used to not be able to speak to people, and now I'm preaching to you all. <laughs> like, God, yeah, thank you, Lord. He's, he's amazing. But that's what Jesus does when he intersects our life. That's what Jesus does. We walk this journey following him, this way of freedom, and there are moments full of such grace and power where he does something that would take years for us to accomplish on our own. And I share this story so that I can raise your faith a bit for what God could do in your life in a moment, in this moment of invitation, with a desire to be set free and expressing that to a God that draws near, to a God that draws near. You know, I was talking to Bree and Curtis last night, and they were at our dinner table, and I w we were talking about strongholds. And I said to them, just out of interest, would you guys even know what they are? Like, would you, if I talked about strongholds right now, would you be able to identify a stronghold in your life? And they were kind of like, hmm. And then we read out this um, quote from Max Licardo, and afterwards they were like, oh yeah, I know what it is. And so I thought it might be helpful for you. Does one prevailing problem stalk your life? Where does Satan have a hook in you? 
Some are prone to cheat, others quick to doubt. Maybe you worry. Yes, everyone worries some, but you own the national distributorship of anxiety. Perhaps you are judgmental. Sure, everybody can be critical, but you pass more judgments than the Supreme Court. What is that one weakness, that bad habit, that rotten attitude? Where does the devil have a stronghold on you? Ah, there is a word that fits. Stronghold, fortress, citadel, thick walls, tall gates. It's as if the devil has fenced in one negative attitude, one negative attribute, one bad habit, one weakness and constructed a rampart around it. You ain't touching this floor. He defies to heaven and he places himself squarely between God's help and your stronghold. Seasons come and seasons go, but this Loch Ness monster still lurks in the watery lake bottom of your soul. He won't go away. He lives up to both sides of his compound name, strong enough to grip like a vice and stubborn enough to hold on. Strongholds, old, difficult, discouraging challenges. Strongholds. We all have them. We all need freedom. We're all born into imperfect families, with imperfect parents, with imperfect siblings, with imperfect teachers, with imperfect coaches, with imperfect friends. And we don't have strongholds because we're weak. We have strongholds because life can be hard and cruel words can be spoken. And in a moment of vulnerability and a lack of understanding, we take these things into ourselves and they become strongholds. So it's not because we're weak. It's not because God isn't strong. It's because life is hard. And I just love that picture of that stronghold being like something that there's thick walls around it. It's like, it's like the enemy is standing in the way of that in heaven and saying, you can't touch that one. Well, I just want to read out in Luke chapter 4, verse 16 in the message translation. I just want you to imagine that you're in this room that Jesus is saying these words to you. It says that he came to Nazareth, which is where he grew up. And as he always did on the Sabbath, he went to the meeting place. And when he stood to read, he was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, God's spirit is on me. He's chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor. He sent me to announce the pardon to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the burdened and battened free, to announce that this is God's time to shine. And then he rolled up the scroll, the scroll he handed it back to the assistant and sat down and every eye in the place was on him intent. And then he started and you've just heard scripture, make history, it has just came true now in this place. Quite simply, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. We can get all the counseling we want and it helps and we should. And we can change the way we think and God wants to help us change the way we think. And we can create new habits, and that's going to take us a long way. But if we're going to come against strongholds, we need to come against strongholds with the weapons that God asks us to fight with. It says in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. So we don't grit our teeth and we don't double our efforts for that's the way the flesh fights. But we fight with the power and the weapons of God. And that is prayer. That is faith. 
That is confession. I think we miss so much that we're supposed to walk this freedom journey together. See, when we confess our sins to each other, when we confess our strongholds to each other, it pulls them out of the dark and into the light. And it gives God the opportunity to work on it. And it gives the opportunity for people to walk alongside you. See, I needed people in my life to be aware that shame was something I struggled with so that they could walk with me. And I still have people that when it comes back, I confess that too, and we walk alongside each other. It says in James 5 verse 16, to confess your sins to one another and pray for each other for you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person is powerful and, has, and it produced wonderful results. And I love this part. It says, Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the, and the, they, the earth began to yield its crops. Power in prayer. And, you know, I just couldn't reconcile just bringing a message to you about the moments Moments of God doing a healing work without giving him space to do so. So why don't you guys stand with me if you're willing and if you're able. And this is the part where we hand over from me to God. (laughs) And we're just going to invite Jesus, who knows you, who loves you, who has the power to break any stronghold. We need Jesus. He came to set the captives free, and he can set us free. He wants us to not just know freedom, but to taste it. So if God's been bringing something to the surface, I believe that's his way of speaking to you. And I'm not sure why in the atmosphere of worship, just things seem to happen more. There seems to be more of an openness between heaven and earth. And so in this time of worship, I just want you to raise your hands if you have that stronghold and you just want to invite Jesus into it. And specifically, I just want to uh, pray for two things. This is two things prophetically. I felt that God wanted to, uh, to, to break off you today, and that is a stronghold of disappointment. Maybe you don't just feel disappointment every now and then, but it feels more like a state. Maybe life has taken you so far from what you hoped for and it feels impossible to get your hopes up that anything good might happen in your life. A pessimism has taken the place where hope once was and belongs and that disappointment is stopping you from enjoying God's life today. If that's you, put your hands up. And the second is a stronghold of shame. I'm not talking about the kind of shame that visits from time to time, the kind that leads you to become more aware of the changes that you need to make, but I'm talking about a shame that never leaves, the kind of shame that almost always makes you want to run and hide, the kind of shame that takes place in your head and your heart every day, subtle and condemning, the kind of shame that is heavy, that keeps God at a distance. He wants to set you free of that. So would you raise your hands as God does a work?